It is the Colby Daniels Podcast, episode number eight. What's going on, everyone? Hope you had a great weekend. Feels like there's something different in the air this week. And maybe that's because at the end of the week, we're going to have opening day of Major League Baseball. We're going to have the first NBA preseason matchups. I think we are 11 days away as I record this from the NBA's season opener. So can we call it a season opener, actually? Is it a season reopener, season restarter? I don't know what you call it, but anyway, the first NBA game in the regular for the resumed regular season is happening 11 days from now. I've uh, been getting excited for fantasy baseball where we are going to just completely shake things up in my league this year because it's such a condensed season and it's just going to be a wild ride. Like, I think we're just going to change the entire format. It's going to be a different scoring system. We traditionally snake draft. I think we're going to auction. Like, we're doing everything completely different this year just to try it out because why not? This is a weird year anyway, so it's the perfect opportunity. Do things a little bit differently and see what you like, see what you don't like. If there was ever a time to change it up and experience things like this in a different way, welcome to 2020. So my guests today are Eric Horn from The Athletic covering the Oklahoma City Thunder as we get ready for their first preseason matchup against the Boston Celtics, and then they tip off August 1st as far as their regular season start. And then RJ Ochoa with bloggingtheboys.com and the Blogging the Boys podcast is going to talk about the Dak Prescott situation, his contract, and uh, whether or not he's a top 10 quarterback. So here we go. Episode 8 of the Colby Daniels podcast. And we begin with Eric Horn covering the Oklahoma City Thunder from The Athletic. Eric, what's going on today, man? Oh, just uh, chilling, man. You know, just living in this <laughs> living in this COVID world we live in. And it's, uh, it has its perks and it has its downsides for sure. Uh, how are things on your end? Pretty much the same. It's I've uh, I've tried to discover maybe new hobbies. I failed at uh, at all of them. So um, yeah, it's it's nice that we are getting closer and closer to the the reboot of both the NBA and Major League Baseball. But uh, yeah, it's been such a a weird time. And you know, in terms of and and for both of us, you know, our lives are basically spent focusing on sports. You have all this this time that is now available and free to use, and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, you know, it's uh, everybody's had to adjust a little bit, I think. And, uh, you know, the biggest adjustment for me has been, um, you know, I work remotely, which people would, would think, oh, that's a great thing. Like, you get to work wherever you want to. But a lot of my work that I used to do was, you know, in arenas and at practice facility and at Starbucks and places like that. And I was always able to kind of keep it fresh wherever I was working. And that was that I didn't realize it at the time, but that was a big part of my routine. And now I'm just always sitting at a desk at home. It's, it's harder for me because I'm in the same place every day. And it's almost like I'm in, I guess, like a cubicle. And I'm not, I'm not trying to paint like a woe is me story or anything. Cause I know most people kind of work in one spot all the time. But for me, it's actually, I think more difficult to work in one spot because I'm so used to working in all these different places and kind of having some variety. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was one of the things that kind of, got me into sports media was the fact that I had a sales job. It was an eight to five gig. And I, I had you know, this cubicle that I sat in every single day. And, 
it was, yeah, it was, it, it, it's for some people, you know, sitting in an office is for some people. For me, it just, it, every day felt like the walls were closing in on me and I needed a little bit more mobility with, with what I did. So yeah, yeah it's, I, I totally get what you're saying. It's, uh, it's kind of a unique thing to do what we've done for such a long period of time where your office is essentially different scenery every day, but it's so weird to, you know, be confined to a, a room when, you know, like, like you just mentioned, it's, it's usually something completely different. Yeah. And sorry if you can hear my dog barking in the background, this is, a, you know, another, another byproduct <laughs> of, of COVID. You got, you, you got your dog barking in the background when the UPS thing comes to your door. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've worked in all different settings. Man. I've, I've worked in the kind of cubicle setting. I've worked in all of these different places. If I'm traveling for games or, different arenas and stadiums or whatever. And, um, to me, this is kind of, it's been difficult. And I think it's okay for us to admit, like we don't have to feel like we're talking about a bunch of first world problems when uh, we say that this is tough. Like it's not saying it's the hardest thing in the world. Like we still have jobs and we're really thankful. But at the same time, it's, it's different. And, you know, anytime that somebody has, you know, kind of something thrown into their routine, it's like a monkey wrench it takes a little transition time. And, you know, I think fortunately we, you know, sports are kicking back up. I think that's going to help people's morale and, and you want everybody to be safe and you, you don't want us to rush all of this just so we can have some kind of quote unquote return to normalcy. But at the same time, um, it helps me more when things are kind of flowing, when you're getting to talk to players and coaches a little more, um, it, it helps you to get kind of excited about what you're doing, no matter where you are. So I, I'm glad that, you know, the Thunder's back and like sports are kind of a little bit back too. How has the process been for you as far as, as that whole interaction with, with players and coaches and all of that via, I assume zoom or, or whatever platform you guys are using? It's been kind of awkward. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's been really awkward because, you know, a lot of times we don't know who we're going to speak to. And that's a, that's an important part of like setting up our day and our questions too, because when we kind of know who we're going to talk to in advance, we can set up what we want to ask and what angles we're trying to go for. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's been, you know, that's taken an adjustment too, but it also kind of lets you know, like, okay, I got to prepare for a lot of different scenarios that they're going to bring this person, to that person, to this person. And you got to probably prepare to get maybe like a handful of different people as opposed to maybe like one or two. You know you're always going to talk to Billy Donovan, which is kind of a relief because you can always kind of have something ready for him. But, you know, some days they throw Kevin Hervey at us, and it's like, I love Kevin Hervey. Nice guy. I've talked to him before. But, you know, he's not in the first <laughs> – he's not in the first six or seven guys you think of that you want to talk to off the Sunday. So it's kind of like, all right, well, I don't really have anything to talk to Kevin Hervey about. Uh, I don't know if I should stay on the, the line for this one. Maybe I should go use my time a little bit, you know, more productively. And just being honest, like, you know, you pr you probably get a lot more of what you're looking for from Chris Paul as opposed to Kevin Hurd. So that's been a big adjustment for us. Um, but I think for this being new to everybody, I think the process is going pretty well. Uh, those first couple of days was weird, but uh, everybody's getting used to, you know, by now, four months into this thing, I think most people who work in media have a handle on Zoom calls, whether we've done them, uh, within our company or we're doing with family. Like I've got a, my family does a Zoom call every Sunday now. It's like 
It's like this little mini episode of Soul Food every Sunday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we all talk and like and like kick it like that's on awesome. Sundays at three. That's like that's like our thing. So I think we've all kind of adjusted in that regard. When uh, when you're talking to these guys, is there any sense of maybe more comfortability with them? talking to you guys rather than you know being there in person because I've I've noticed it certainly over the years where there are players that are one way when they're doing their own thing and then you know when the when the media mob surrounds them and the the, the cameras are turned on and the microphones are in front of their faces you know their demeanor kind of changes and there's there's maybe something held back a little bit or, or a certain amount of of measurement with the way that they speak does this in any way maybe give them a little bit more comfort in the way that they can talk to you without having maybe the, the overwhelming group of media standing right in front of them? Yeah. It's, um, I don't think it's quite as intimate as like being able to just talk to those guys, maybe in like a, like a shoot around setting, like you're on the road and you're right next to them. And it's just a one-on-one because that, that video interface is always going to be a little awkward compared to just the one-on-one. So I think it's kind of weird and there's a little bit of a delay sometimes. And sometimes you might have a weird connection or somebody might be muted and they don't know that they're still on (laughs) mute. And it's like, so now I got this running joke. Billy Donovan likes to screw with me every time I get on the zoom call, because every time they say it's my turn on the call, because we basically all have turns. We all raise our hand and we're all in like a line for like answer questions. Every time that I, it's my turn, I go, Billy, can you hear me? Because I want to make sure he can hear me. And <laughs> before I even say anything now, like, Billy Dom is like, Eric, I can hear you, okay? I can hear you. And I'm like, look, Billy, I got to make sure every time, man, because I don't want to be out here wasting my breath, okay? I don't want to ask you a whole question, and then you can't hear me. Then I got to go back and ask, ask the question again. So now he's screwing with me. So I think, <laughs> like, I think there's a little bit of uh I think there's a little bit of fun being had with the whole situation. I think we're all getting more comfortable uh, as time goes on. What What are your thoughts on just how everything's going to work in Orlando with the bubble and, and if this is going to be a successful uh, situation or or do you think it's just, a, a, you know, set up for disaster? I, I mean, I think so far there's there seems to be confidence from the people that I talk to on a daily basis about how this is going. Um you know, it's it's a unique situation that's a lot safer than I think people um, are giving it credit for because these guys are like basically in jail, and I mean that in like I, I don't even that just sounds terrible, but it's like they have these bracelet monitors on, and you know you're not going in and out. They're not letting these these guys can't go anywhere without being monitored. It's it's really kind of creepy. It's kind of like it's kind of like they're in that jail and like the rock with like the boots on <laughs> and they're like, they're like <laughs> except, except they don't have boots on, but like people, they can be monitored and they know where these guys are at all times. So you're not going to have people sneaking in and out. And if they do come close to getting out, like they're going to have to immediately go into quarantine. So I, I think it's going to work. Um, the big question is, you know, how it's going to screw with teams and their rhythm when guys leave to do the things that they have to do, because we, as we've seen already, some guys are already uh, having to leave like Zion Williamson having to leave for a family emergency, Montrez Harrell, you know, eventually Dennis Schroeder is going to have to leave for the birth of his child. So, you know, that's the big question. I think it's going to be fine when they come back, those guys are going to be safe. If they do get coronavirus, they'll be quarantined and taken care of. But 
I, I think that the quality of play is going to be the thing that's really going to have to take some getting used to because I don't think these teams are going to come out playing very well to start. And then they're going to have key players ducking in and out of the lineup because of, you know, just life stuff happening. So that's going to be interesting to watch. It's crazy because as soon as this thing starts, I mean, there's urgency for everybody immediately in terms of either making the playoffs or getting the seating that you potentially want. Although home court advantage may not necessarily matter, but, you know, playing a a lesser opponent potentially in that first round could be something. So it it has to kind of come together really quickly, not to mention for those playoff teams, you've got to kind of find that chemistry really quickly before you start playing potentially elimination games. So I'm, and to your point, it may look really ugly at the same time. So I'm I'm kind of fascinated with what that first two weeks is going to look like. Yeah, I am too. And and I'm excited. Um, you know, they've got scrimmage coming on Friday. Um, you know, they're going to have a few scrimmages. But the, the, the big thing for the Thunder is they've been scrimmaging this entire time. You know, Billy Donovan's been big on them playing a lot together, even from the beginning of the season. They scrimmaged a ton in the beginning of the season. So... I think that the Thunder has an advantage from that standpoint in, in that even though, you know, they're coming back at the same time as a lot of these teams, they've built a unique chemistry, I think, because they've just played so much basketball together this year. Um, I think the layoff is going to help some guys, um, particularly guys like Steven Adams, Chris Paul, who are a little older or, or banged up in some regard. And then, you know, you can get like some fresh perspective when you got guys like Terrence Ferguson who've had tough seasons, but, you know, they've been out for a few months and they're able to kind of recharge and get their minds right. So I think the Thunder's going to be good. Uh, I don't know how good. I don't think they're going to win a title or anything, but I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they were one of the better teams coming out of this. Is your, where do we set the bar for expectations? Is it, is it competitive first round? Is it win the first round? Like before we even see any of these eight regular season games that we're going to wrap up, where do we kind of start with expectations? Yeah, it's got to be getting out of the first round. Um, and I think that depending on the matchup, that's that's a thing that, sh- that, that should happen. Um, I don't see why they can't beat the Jazz or the Nuggets in a series. I know the Jazz and the Nuggets probably are going to have the best player when it comes down to it, um, whether it's Nikola Jokic or Donovan Mitchell. But Chris Paul is not far off. Uh, and, and Chris Paul is in late games as we've seen has just been he's been really good uh, I, the thing I worry about with them is um, are they going to be able to make enough threes and that's not really their bread and butter they've shot it better this year uh, on fewer attempts but they still don't make enough and then who's going to be like that that legitimate perimeter defender uh, late in games against the other team's best player because I mean, I love Lou Dort, and I love the energy he's brought, but he follows the sun, and that's typically not the guy that they're going to close lineups with anyway because they're going to have Schroeder out there. So when they go with Schroeder, they've got a size disadvantage on the wing in terms of defense, and I think that that's something that teams like the Clippers or the Rockets would probably exploit, which I think is why that's not a good matchup. So if they get the Jazz or the Nuggets, I think that's a winnable series. And if they get a series win – you know, that to me is, is meeting or exceeding expectations for what this team looks like in the beginning of the year. And considering that, <laughs> you know, with the previous teams we had with Russell Westbrook and Paul George here, thinking that they were teams that could get to the Western Conference Finals, 
uh, until we were kind of back into reality about that. I think just winning a first round series would, would be realistic expectations for this team. I'm praying and crossing my fingers and doing everything that I possibly can to do my part to get a Thunder Rocket series in the first round. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, like, tell me you don't want I that. Think that, would, I, that would honestly, I think, be the least. <laughs> that that was what I would want the least. Why? Why? It would be amazing. We're just gonna get over. We're just gonna get overwhelmed with Russell Westbrook narratives. And the whole thing is going to turn into an indictment of how the Thunder didn't use Russell Westbrook the right way, or they didn't appreciate Russell Westbrook when he was here, which is not true. And then I just think they're a terrible matchup. Like I think Harden's going to destroy anybody he goes against. Um, Harden stylistically isn't what everybody enjoys to watch, as we've documented time and time again. That's fair. And when they go small, I just don't think the Thunder – match up with them small because I think the Thunder's best lineups are with Steven Adams on the floor because he makes up for so many defensive mistakes and he gets guys in the right position and he's just such a versatile defensive player and you know maybe that's kind of an indictment of how the Thunder are constructed that Steven Adams is important as he is but he is important and someday they're going to move on for him and they'll be you know they'll they'll adjust and they'll become a, a, a team that can function a bunch of different ways hopefully but right now, their best lineups are with him in the lineup because he's a really good defensive player. He's smart. He does all the little stuff that nobody else wants to do. And on offense, he's a, he's a pretty good screen center. He's, he's one of the best. And um, he's just a guy who just adds value to, to your team. And when you take that off the floor with the way the Rockets play, it's just going to – I just don't think that matches up well for the Thunder. Um, and now – <laughs> the one thing that's intriguing to me is if they could get Russell Westbrook into kind of like a, a, a kind of a frenzy and get him into, I'm going to beat this team by myself <laughs> because it's my former team and I'm going up against Chris Paul and we've, you know, we, we respect each other, but we've kind of got this, you know, I'm going to get into a point guard battle with Chris Paul. If they could get him into that mode, I, I think it would be an interesting series, but I still think that Harden is just too good. Um, and, the Rockets have some other pieces to where they can throw a bunch of multiple defenders at, at the Thunder's perimeter guys, and that I don't like it from that standpoint. You mentioned the the lineups, and my favorite lineup is is the one that has the the three guards in it with Schroeder, Paul, and uh, and SGA. If Schroeder is out, you know what what does that mean for that lineup and and how Billy Donovan potentially adjusts and and maybe changes the way he uses guys. Yeah, and that it's it's scary to think about, man. Because you know, I, I think a lot of people, like outside of this market, like to kind of like kind of poop on Dennis Schroeder for his shortcomings or what he's done in the past. But that guy's been really good for them this year. Um, you know, he's been really focused defensively, no matter how his shots fallen, and now he's hitting thirty eight percent of his threes on five attempts a game, and when you look at the Thunder and and their three-point volume, like he and Gallinari are really the only guys on the team that are shooting more than five threes a game. Um, if they lost him, I don't really know how they would replace him in closing lineups. I still think they could be a good team because they don't start him and their on-off numbers and stuff are, are still pretty good when they have Dort out there because – 
you know, Dort's a good defender. And he can do some things with the ball on offense. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's, he's good for – he's really good for a rookie. But he's not Dennis Schroeder. And I think that Schroeder's kind of got this confidence that's really valuable in the end of games too. Um, there are times in the in in the fourth quarter and in games where Schroeder can carry a team, and I think that that's valuable too to give guys like Chris Paul and SGA a little bit of a break. Uh, I, I guess Terrence Ferguson and Dort would be the natural replacements um, at those positions, uh, and that that's a scary proposition because Ferguson hasn't been good this year, and you know Dort's a rookie. And, you know, you'd have to imagine that you'd need more from SGA and, and Chris Paul uh, to kind of pick up the load if, if Schroeder's not going to be there. What's your guess on on how many guys we see regularly in the postseason when, you know, things kind of shrink and, and you're not using as, as many guys in the rotation? Okay. Well, I, I think I've thought about this a few different times. Okay, so we'd probably say that um, Schroeder is the one guy for sure that you have coming off the bench um, with the five starters. And then it, from there, it really gets dicey. I think depending on the matchup, you're going to get some Nerlens Noel and Mike Muscala. Like, if you're playing a team like Denver, you're probably going to see both of those guys a little more because they go with uh, Jokic. Um, and, you know, Nerlens has had some success against Jokic in the past. I mean, it's not consistent enough. Like, Jokic has killed. Adams and uh, Nerlens Noel, but he's had a little bit of success against Jokic, so I think they would use him in a series like that. But again, if you get the Rockets, you're basically throwing away the center. Um, you know, those center minutes are going to go more to, you know, smaller guys like Abdul Nader or, uh, or even Darius Bazin. So I think it depends on the matchup more than anything. If you get matched up with traditional teams like Utah and Denver, you're probably going to see, you know, more eight to nine man rotations um, that are going to include Nerlens Noel, Darius Baisley to kind of spell Gallinari. And then you'll see a little bit of, um, you know, some Ferguson. Uh, Ferguson's going to play regardless of their opponent. So I'd say Ferguson and Schroeder are the two guys who are going to play regardless of who they face. But the big man question comes down to if they get the Jazz or the Nuggets. Because if they play Houston, I just don't know how much Nerlens and, uh, and Mike Muscala can play. Are you going to treat this first week of the NBA like a college football Saturday where you just sit on your couch and like watch it from sunup to sundown? Because <laughs> I imagine we're going to have as much as we can possibly consume available. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's going to be a lot of just watching games, but then it's going to be a lot of work too. Like um, we're, we're working on some things in the athletic where, you know, we're going to have guys collaborating – on games and, you know, trying to do some stuff live where we're, we're kind of commentating on games while we're watching the games and stuff just to kind of change up our coverage and, and keep people engaged. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a ton of, ton of basketball. I mean, uh, you know, baseball starting this week. I've been watching a little spring, spring training ball games or whatever they're calling them now. Summer camp. That's what they were calling them. Did you, have you watched any of those, <laughs> I, little, I, no, not those yet. little baseball games so far? I haven't yet. I haven't no. even watched that. I, I, <laughs> I watched some of the White Sox and Cubs yesterday at Wrigley, and it's it's so interesting seeing these empty baseball stadiums. It's like these guys are playing those, like, perfect game, all-star games at, like, Wrigley, except it's, like, professional. Right. And it's just completely empty. And, like, these guys hit home runs, and you can just hear all the guys in the background like, yeah, 
all right. Like, like nice job, Poppy Baez. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really interested to see uh, these first games and, and how the networks go about it. It's going to be a lot like Summer League, I think, where you can hear a lot. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of squeaking and guys yelling, and there's probably going to be some delays because guys are going to be cursing at each other and stuff. So uh, it's going to be fun, man. I'm going to watch a ton of basketball. I'm sure a lot of people are. Weren't they throwing around the idea of potentially airing these on tape delay because of the fact that, that really the language was something that they, they weren't going to be able to completely monitor throughout the course of a game? I mean, you only have so many opportunities to, to dump out of you know that audio, so... Yeah, it's um, I I think they should probably look into that for at least this, these these scrimmage games if they're going to broadcast them. And I'm not, I haven't seen anything in terms of a scrimmage schedule and in, in TV. They might still be working on that, but this would be a good time to experiment with that before we got to the real games at the end of July and the beginning of August. Because um, you know, I, I think I've looked at kind of how the MLS has done it when they've come back in Orlando, and they they have long pauses where it's pretty obvious that guys are like saying uh, <laughs> curse words and they've done it. I think they've done it pretty well. Yeah. It doesn't take away from the game or anything. Um, and especially if you're going to be showing these games um, in the daytime where kids are going to be watching stuff, it's not like all this stuff's going to be prime time on cable. Like this is going to be like most of the Thunder's games are day like, games, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Like they only have like two games that are after, maybe like three o'clock in right. the afternoon. So, you know, a lot of these games is going to be families sitting around uh, at like nine o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning watching basketball and you're going to have guys dropping up bombs. So they got to figure something out. Um, and, and I'm sure they will. I'm sure they thought about that. On average, how many F bombs would you say you hear per game sitting courtside? Like you uh, it's, it's less than it was with like Westbrook because <laughs> he and he and like, he and like Melo were like, they were just yelling stuff all the time. Like Russell was like, "No, fuck that! No, no, bleep that!" or whatever. And Melo would just every time Melo got defensive rebound, he was telling guys like, "F out of here!" Out of here. Like I was just like, "Hey, man!" Like yelling that stuff every single time you get a rebound. Like, come on, man! But <laughs> it's it's way less now. Um, I think uh, you know you got to be a little closer to the action to hear a lot of those guys. Um, they don't they don't really do it that much. Like uh, I think Steven Adams will drop one every now and then. It's not it's kinda more like joking around or uh, I don't know if I've ever heard Chris Paul say anything, but he's he's been around there. Sometimes he can get a little mouthy, but uh, most of those guys don't really say a ton of stuff. I think it was more that previous regime that Westbrook uh, that Westbrook um Carmelo Anthony, man, those guys were they're all over the place. All right, so uh, before I let you run, just thunder aside, who do you like in this thing and, and maybe the structure of it? Like, wh- who do you think it benefits the most? I tend to gravitate towards the team that just have the best players. I mean, I, I, I know that sounds kind of like a cop-out, but, I mean, if you got LeBron James and Anthony Davis and they're healthy, you're probably going to have a pretty good chance of winning the whole thing. Um, I like the teams that uh, – you know, have strong probably like top six or seven groups. Uh, you don't have to worry about depth as much when you're going into like a short season kind of situation. 
Um, and then you're going right into the playoffs. So, you know, those teams that had a strong starting five or have left to figure out in terms of, um, you know, replacing guys that were important to their starting five. Like, you know, the Spurs are obviously going to have a hard time because they don't have LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know how Philly's going to do. I think Philly's interesting because they have a lot of talent, but they're kind of working on this whole Shake Milton uh, and Simmons thing. And it'll be interesting to see how they kind of, you know, adjust to that. I think, you know, like I was talking about earlier, when you lose a guy is, is probably as important as if you lose a guy. Um, I think you can adjust if you know you're not going to have a guy going into the tournament. But if you lose him in the middle of, you know, your eight-game schedule or if you lose him going into the playoffs because he has to leave the bubble, um, you know, having a good guy off the bench is probably important. And not just a guy who can just fill in some minutes, but a guy who can really play. Um, and that's why... You know, I think the Thunder got a pretty good shot of being good because if Schroeder, you know, times this thing out right to where he gets back before the playoffs or he's not in a bad rhythm when he comes back, you know, I, I would trust them in, in a weird environment to kind of be a good team. Uh, same thing for the Lakers. I know they lost Avery Bradley, but, you know, if they can if they can keep their main guys healthy, uh, I trust those guys in a weird environment because LeBron's a pro and, and so is um, AD, but I think the Lakers, the Bucks, um, the Thunder. I think the Rockets have a chance to be good because they've been rested. Um, Clippers are going to be good as long as Kawhi and Paul George are healthy, primarily Kawhi. And he seems like he's in a good place. He's had time to rest. They can play any style. Um, I think a couple weeks ago I was talking to a guy and I picked the Clippers to go to the finals um, against the Bucks. So, you know, those are the teams that I think will kind of excel. And But I hope everybody plays well. It'll be fun to see. Obviously, everybody in their home market is going to want their team to to represent either the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference. But I think if you're just talking to NBA fans, if it's not a Milwaukee Lakers or Milwaukee Clippers type of series, I, I wonder. I, I don't. I, I just kind of get the feeling like it's all kind of built up to the Bucks and Giannis playing either Kawhi and the Clippers or LeBron and the Lakers, and that's just kind of the expectation. Yeah, and, but you know, like I think there's some Eastern Conference teams that would be interesting to see. In the, and I, I'm one of these people who hasn't been sold completely on the Bucks all season. I know they're a good team; they're really good, but they didn't, they didn't like just barely get beat in that series against the Raptors last year. I mean, the Raptors kind of took that thing and ran away from them. So they got something to prove to me in terms of the postseason, and you know. There are ways to defend Giannis if you have the right personnel. He's probably one of the hardest guys to guard in the league, top three or four. But, you know, if you've got some, some bigger defenders, uh, and if you can keep him from rambling down the lane and get him to take more jump shots, you know, I think Boston is a team that's kind of interestingly equipped to handle him. And they've got enough wing talent to, I think, compete with them. Um, Philly, if they ever get their act together, I think Philly can be interesting because they have Ben Simmons, and he's a big guy who's a really good defender. So, I don't think this thing is guaranteed that the Bucks are going to make the finals. Um, and I think that they have left margin of error from, say, their number one guy in Giannis to their second guy in Chris Middleton. I think if some of these other teams are a little more balanced in terms of, you know, how they can get their offense, and I think the drop-off is greater from, like, Giannis to Chris Middleton to whoever's next than it is from, like, Jason Tatum to Gordon Hayward to Jalen Brown or 
like Embiid to Simmons to Tobias Harris or something like that. So I don't think the Bucks are a lock. I think the Lakers or the Clippers, one of those teams is going to be in the finals. I, I haven't seen everybody else's schedule, but I'm kind of hoping that they stagger LeBron and Giannis every other day, and so the MVP leader is LeBron and Giannis, and it like just seesaws the whole way through. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean, the Lakers, all of their games are in prime time. I, that's one of the things that stood out to me when I was looking at the schedule. I don't know what the Bucks is. I don't have it in front of me, but yeah. the Lakers are obviously a priority to the league, um, as would be the Pelicans with Zion, as long as he comes back and he's healthy and everything's cool from him, you know, taking some time away from his family, which is, you know, most important thing. Um, you know, the Pelicans have a good setup to make the playoffs where their, their schedule's not very strong, uh, or at least to get into that play-in game, that 8-9. And then you know, the Lakers are going to be on primetime TV a bunch. So, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, obviously, the, I think the league has kind of set it up to where those guys are going to kind of be the showpiece guys. And, you know, Giannis and, Giannis and some other teams can pick up the scraps. I assume uh, you're going to tweet out all the information on what you guys are doing with the athletic. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll 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 make sure we're we're letting people know what we're going to have going on. Very um, cool. You know, we're supposed to be having like playoff preview stuff coming up around the twenty seventh, and then, um, you know, we'll we'll kind of dive a little bit more into all that stuff as it gets closer. But you know, we're going to be experimenting with some stuff too. I think this is an experiment for everybody to kind of test content and test how they're reaching people because. As as we, as we said before, like nobody's ever done this before. Everybody's doing this for the first time, so it's kind of cool to to see what we can come up with. Eric Horn with the Athletic. You can find him on Twitter at Eric Two Ks Horn with an E at the end. Once again on Twitter, joining us from the Athletic. Eric, always appreciate it, buddy, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Colby, man. Anytime, um, uh, I appreciate you having me on. For sure, man. Stay safe. All right. Thanks to Eric for joining us today. Again, Eric Horn from The Athletic covering the Thunder. All right, my next guest is RJ Ochoa covering the Dallas Cowboys with bloggingtheboys.com, blogging the boys podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter. Check out his podcast. Here we go. RJ Ochoa joins us on the Colby Daniels podcast. RJ, what's going on? Not a lot, man. Just uh, taking it day by day. My wife and I just moved. So uh, for the first time, not going through any boxes, not hanging anything up. So I'm uh, pretty uh, feeling pretty blessed in that regard. Moving's got to be like top five worst things you can possibly do, right? It is. Um, I think top five falling it short. I think it's top top two, top three. I mean, I've never had a root canal, not on wood, but um, <laughs> I mean, those are, are are duking it out for one and two as far as I'm concerned. I would let Cristiano Ronaldo kick me in the balls one time before I would choose to move. That's a, I, I would take that too. That's a fair way of looking. <laughs> do you do you rope your friends into helping? Is that uh, is that how you get it done, or, or family, or how does that work with you? You know, I uh, I did have a friend uh, that helped. Uh, shout out to my friend Noah. He was a superstar. And when I called him, I said, I literally said, look, you know I wouldn't ask if I didn't absolutely need this. And so, you know, when you drop that, like, you you can only use that, like, once a year. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so I'm good uh, for 365 days with my pal Noah. You know, when, when, my, when we were all young and my friends were young, if you offered to buy everybody beer, then it was just a no-brainer because nobody had money anyway. So that was, like, a, a pretty good trade. But now that people are older and more established and have money – 
the old like six pack and a pizza doesn't work anymore. They're like, no, thanks. I'll get my own pizza, my own beer, and I'll not move today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, um, you know, there, there might have been some golf clubs that I gave him, uh, but uh, that was uh, the exchange as far as uh, it went down. But thankfully, we got in all our stuff here, and uh, that's on the review mirror. Very nice, very nice. Well, as as we uh, as we start this, I'm seeing breaking news that uh, it looks like C.D. Lamb is signing his contract today. I don't know about that, actually. I tweeted that photo out, um, and it was reported by Clarence Hill, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, that he's apparently uh, shooting some sort of commercial. So it's maybe C.D. signing something. He's all okay. dressed up nice and sharp. But, uh, but I have to imagine that will follow. At, at the time you and I are talking, Bradley Anaya and Ben DiNucci have signed their rookie contract, so uh, the dominoes have begun to fall. Well, one player didn't sign a long-term contract last week, and and that was Dak Prescott. Um, I, I think after the Patrick Mahomes signing, I initially thought, as a Cowboy fan, I thought, holy shit, they are going to have to pay Dak Prescott now. But at the same time, I also kind of had this idea that if they don't give him exactly what he wants, it doesn't really make sense for him to push the issue under this franchise tag and if he believes in himself it made more sense to me that he would just bet on himself this one year and try it again next season so how did you kind of see all this play out you know it was um that was uh kind of at the peak of our moving so all my worlds were on fire all at once but um it really i, I think is a is a shame that the cowboys weren't able to get this done last year i think that was the real fumble uh, because it was just too difficult. I mean, I, I think that there's too much precedent uh, for Dak Prescott's team to, to make legitimate and fair and objective arguments. And I think that the Cowboys don't want to give up that much money just because that's that's a hard thing to swallow. I mean, you know, buying a house, buying a car, I mean, that down payment is, is always um, kind of a, a, a kick to the gut. And I, I think that the Pat Mahomes deal, I don't know, that I think it had too much bearing because I think the franchise tag is, is really what's killing this whole thing. I mean, if you extrapolate the math out, Dak Prescott is, if he were to be tagged three years in a row, and, and that's a fair way to look at this, I think, it, you know, it's $123 million fully guaranteed that he's looking at over the course of the next three years. And, I mean, so if, if I was Dak and, or representing Dak and I knew that he had $123 million almost fully guaranteed at this point during 2020 over the next three years, and you were offering me 110 guaranteed over the next five years, I can I can understand that not making logical sense, and so I think it's it's too difficult of a thing to figure out. And they ran out of time, and and maybe they'll be able to get it done in a year. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, given the the uncertainty of this upcoming year, it's just it really really is so hard to figure out. Is this one of those situations that potentially creates bad blood between the player and the organization? You know, I I, I normally don't feel that way. I, I think that I think that player and organization specific. I think that. Kirk Cousins in Washington kind of got to that point. And I think a lot of that was that they didn't really believe in Kirk Cousins. They just, they knew that they had no better option. I don't think that that's the case with Dak. Um, I think the Cowboys very clearly believe in him and very clearly do want to commit to him long-term. It's just, uh, it's difficult to kind of make everything look right and look proper. And so I, I do think that Dak loves the Cowboys. And I think he loves his teammates. And I think the Cowboys know that that culture exists. It's, it's why they wanted to kind of have DeMarcus Lawrence be around the team when he was negotiating his deal and Zeke Kelly be around the team. So then, you know, being around everything could kind of push a player in one direction or the other to get things done faster. But 
Um, I think that this is just business, and I think everybody understands that, and that that is a rare thing, and, and I'm hopeful that that is at least. It's kind of shocking to me that in all the debates about Dak Prescott and how much money he actually deserves, lost in in the entire argument every single time is the quarterback market conversation. And I know some people think he deserves the money. Some people don't think he deserves the money. But regardless of where you stand, nobody seems to understand that if you're going to sign a, a quarterback to that second contract as a starting quarterback, the number, no matter how good he is, is going to be pretty absurd. Yeah, I think that that's a, a reality that a lot of people don't want to accept is, is that it costs a lot of money, right? And you can come up with any kind of comparison you want, right? Like if you go to the house and like, if you want to live in a certain neighborhood, you know, some neighborhoods have HOAs or whatever that are, you know, ridiculous and you agree with or don't agree with or whatever, uh, but that's what you got to pay to live in that neighborhood. And if you want to live in a neighborhood of having a franchise quarterback, you have to pay that. And I think the Cowboys are just, they, they don't like to pay big money. And I don't blame them. I mean, I don't know anybody that gets pumped, you know, to, to give away a lot of money. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, they, they typically wait till the 11th hour on things. And generally they have found a way to get it done in that hour by way of, you know, more often than not overpaying uh, what maybe they should have just because time has run out. And I think that they let this really, really hit a boiling point, unfortunately, with the most important player on their team. If he produces this year, and, and I'm not saying he has to win a Super Bowl, but he has statistically a top five, top ten season. They, they, you know, either win the division or get a wild card and get into the postseason. Is that the type of year for Dak that he's going to cash in? Is this kind of a prove-it year for the Cowboys in, in any way where it's, you know, what they end up giving him next offseason is dependent on how this season turns out? I think that's true in a lot of ways, and I think it's it's so fascinating. I mean, obviously, there's a huge, you know, qualifier on this season uh, for everybody involved, given the current climate of our world. Uh, but, I mean, you know, that, that is, that's fair, right? Like, well, what if they made it the NFC Championship game? Well, what if they made it, but, you know, they won in the division around because the team they're playing missed their last-second field goal. You know what I mean? Like, the, the context of it all is right. so necessary. I mean, did, did Dak have a, a Ryan Tannehill run where he barely threw the ball in the playoffs? You know, did he put up 500 yards to get them there? I mean, um, I, I think that, you know, obviously what he does this season is, is going to drastically shape the way um, you know, everybody used him come March of 2021. But, um, I, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that the pressure is as high as it's ever been. And Dak is somebody who has generally flourished in those conditions. And I, the part that, that really gets me about this whole thing is, okay, so we agree that he's going to have to perform very well this season. That, that part is common sense. The other thing is literally, and I know this sounds like a joke, but literally every other move the Cowboys have made this offseason has been with the objective of making Dak Prescott as good as he can possibly be, right? Like, that's that's the whole point here, right? Like, we're, we're going to be a new head coach to, to make Dak better, to make the team better. We're going to draft C.D. Lamb to make our team better, to make Dak better, et cetera. So, like, I don't know how you can, if you have 100, you know, tokens, I don't know how you can place 99 on one horse to win this race and then go place, you know, one, your most important one, on a, on a different horse than one. It's, it's very weird, but, I mean, that's kind of how the Cowboys roll. In terms of the vibe of the team, is is uh, with Mike McCarthy around, like, what's your overall sense of, of just the overall excitement level, I guess? I think it, it would have been um, really fun to have seen how things would have been at OTAs and minicamps. Obviously, those didn't happen, but 
it does seem different. I mean, Mike McCarthy's a different guy than Jason Garrett. I think, you know, Jason Garrett, beyond just being a different person, I think, was, was well entrenched in, in this job, which is very different, um, and, and kind of had his rhymes and his rhythms. And it's been fun. I mean, it really had. I know you and I spoke to just say this offseason, but um, it's been fun to, to kind of learn what Mike McCarthy likes and doesn't like. You know, the Jason Garrett Cowboys, we knew forever, you know, would avoid defensive tackles, right, and would never pay attention to the safety position and things like that. And so it's been fun kind of putting the puzzle together uh, in the first Mike McCarthy offseason, and, and I'm excited to see, um, you know, his tendencies and, and what's different about him because he's such a unique uh, new head coach and that, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, Ron Rivera, you can go look at the Panthers from early on last season before things went down there and, and kind of figure out maybe what he's thinking. It's been a long time since we've seen Mike McCarthy. He's undergone an extreme ankle. Is the sense around there positive in terms of just the season happening and, and uh, us actually watching NFL football or what's the overall kind of feeling in Dallas about that? I think, um, you know, all across Texas, I think the, there's a, a growing pessimism with regards to high school football, which, as you know, is, is very, very big here. Um, and, and I think that that extends to college football. And, and I think that, first and foremost, everyone's starting to slowly accept that um, either those things will be played in the spring or, or they won't happen entirely. I mean, I know that certain uh, conferences have already, you know, limited their fall schedules to conference-only games. But, you know, some people believe that's just one next step before ultimate postponement or whatever. Um, but I, I think that people are really settling in on that take. But I think that most people, and it's, it's hard to kind of distinguish why, most people tend to feel like, okay, well, they won't buy. I, you know, that's, I think if you told your average Texan, right, it would be, I don't think there's going to be college football, but the NFL will happen. And whether that's because they're professionals or whether it's because, um, you know, they're the NFL and they always find a way. I, I think that that's kind of the, the average opinion, uh, the average sense is that at the very least there will be NFL football. Um, my own personal opinion is that I, I think the NFL does everything it can to mirror the English Premier League oftentimes. And the fact that they've been able to, to put on their season and, and resume their season, albeit without fans, I think that's the model the NFL is looking to replicate when they ultimately do uh, kick off. Yeah, it's amazing how many people still don't seem to understand the difference in paid athletes at, at the NFL level versus unpaid athletes at the college level and, and just the sheer numbers and politics involved in, in a university versus a professional organization. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm still really unsure on what type of college football season there is, if any, but I kind of just get the feeling that, that the NFL has kind of put the, the dump truck in forward and, and, you know, disabled the brakes and it's just going to keep moving no matter what. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, I mean, you mentioned it, uh, the irony of, uh, of no college football season would be that if they were paying their players, they might be able to, um, to make this, uh, season happen. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the NFL generally, that's a great way to put it. Just kind of, you know, it's almost like, um, like, you know, in like a movie when somebody's like, you know, wants to like get rid of like a car or a truck, it's like evidence. They like put it in, in neutral or put it in drive and then like get out of, of the truck and then like watch it fall over the cliff. Like that's how the NFL <laughs> operates a lot of times. Um, and I think that that's um, a very similar way to how they're maybe approaching this season. Is Dak Prescott's brother really pissed at the team, or is that a is that a hokey deal? You know, um, I uh, I love social media, and so I'm all about you know what did he like on Instagram? You know, like what what is his Twitter profile picture? Like I, I love stuff like that. Um, and I I mean, 
you know, it's it's one thing when somebody in that situation, like we're so deep into the like era of social media that we have like countless examples of this. It's one thing when somebody just like tweets something, right? Like your initial emotional reaction. But he, I, I mean, I wouldn't even say double down. Like he just lives there now. Like he, he's retweeted some tweets um, that, that kind of uh, reinforce that message. I mean, he is clearly pissed off. And I mean, we all have family members that we've gone to bad for. I get it. Um, and I, I agree with him. I mean, I really do. I think it was a mistake to not pay Dak Prescott. And I, at the very least, it was a financial mistake that's going to cost the Cowboys far more money um, while Dak Prescott has to risk himself. What does Dak Prescott have to do to, to I think, be universally appreciated as a top 10 quarterback? If you want to make the argument of how many quarterbacks are better than Dak Prescott, like I think once you get in that 8, 9, 10 range, it, it more becomes a preference thing than a this guy is definitely better. So I think you can make the argument that Dak is right there in that range and a guy that you can kind of consider right around there. But I, it's amazing to me how many people don't even think he's close to the top 10 range. So I'm, I'm curious what he would have to accomplish for people to get to that point. No, I totally agree with you. I think... Um, I think Pat Mahomes is, is on a tier on his own. And then I would put Russell Wilson on kind of a second tier by himself. Lamar Jackson is, is a little bit closer to Russell than Russell is Mahomes. And then, honestly, the conversation starts for me. Um, and I think you're right. I think it's a matter of preference. I think it's a matter of, you know, almost week to week. Like maybe week five, we're feeling better about Deshaun Watson than we are, you know, Dak Prescott or whoever the case may be. Um, but I, I think Dak is firmly a top six to 10 quarterbacks just kind of depending on the on the moment um but i mean this this sounds ridiculous and it sounds unfair but it's it's the reality of, of Dak Prescott's job is to, to be accepted as just a top 10 quarterback he'd probably have to win a Super Bowl i mean that's that would be the the, the base answer because even if they made it to a Super Bowl and lost it's like if if Dak Prescott had a Jared Goff performance in the Super Bowl put up three points he would you know there would be takes like he's not even a top you know, like with, like the Andy Dalton <laughs> take would still be there. Um, but so I, I think he would have to win a Super Bowl to, you know, just meet that bare minimum for a lot of people, which is kind of the way things tend to go. Yeah, I, short of winning a Super Bowl, I'm not sure he's ever going to be able to do anything right. And, and then he may get the, well, they're a running team and – uh, I like I, right. I I don't know he, like the statistics are there the dude's got a winning attitude he's he's throughout the four years that he's been around I think for the most part been pretty good in the clutch situations I mean very rarely has it been a, a Dak Prescott imploded down the stretch of a, a ball game situation for why Dallas may lose some of those but um, I'm I get I'm just struggling to find where somebody wouldn't even think he's close to being in that conversation. I mean, I'm with you. Um, I think we all have family members or friends from college or whatever that uh, send a text, you know, one off for their opinion, one off for their take. And, um, you know, it's a cycle, right? Like at first you, you, you spend every waking moment defending the idea to that person and then you realize they're a lost cause. Um, and so um, it's, <laughs> it's tough. It really, I think, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, because, we live in an age where there's so much information, right? Like there's information on everything. Like we can learn about all sorts of things in life and that somebody could land on, you know, these, this wild take about Dak Prescott. You almost have to be trying and ignoring every bit of information around you, but somehow people still find a way. I, I think more often than not, people make their, people make up their minds about how good a player may or may not be 
very early on and short of, you know, like you said, winning a Super Bowl or, or you know, maybe it's the other way around where the guy just implodes and loses his job, like short of the extremes on both ends, I don't know how many people actually end up getting swayed on whether a guy is good or bad. It's weird. I mean, people do kind of fall into these like, you know, general, I hate to call them like general takes, but general sort of like thought processes. Um, and I think it's kind of like, oh, you know, we drafted a linebacker from Penn State. Oh, he's going to be awesome. They always have great linebackers. You know, stuff like that. Or it's like, oh, well, I, I'm going to draft a, a receiver that plays for the Chiefs in my fantasy football league. You get to play with Tama Holmes. Like, there's these just kind of like surface level water cooler thoughts and opinions um, that, you know, I think your average person maybe hears on local sports talk radio or whatever the case may be. Uh, but then there are uh, the more studied people, the the more intelligent people that seek out more information, uh, and they're the ones that uh, typically rally around the cause. Yeah, I was listening to uh, one of my favorite podcasts, and and it's a couple guys that aren't really big football guys, but they were talking about Dak Prescott, and and the one guy was making the point that he plays for the best running team in the NFL with the best running back and the best offensive line. So why the hell would you ever pay a guy like that all this money? And you know, again, I, to your point, it just kind of becomes a stereotypical, that's kind of been the view of the Dallas Cowboys and the way they've been built for a couple seasons. And I don't know that anything Dak does is going to, going to change that person's mind. No, I mean, and I, that's a, you can go in an endless circle, right? Because the, the conversation shifts, the narrative shifts, whatever's happening, right? Like, they, oh, they play for a great running team. Okay, well, then, you know, who's really good? The offensive line. Well, their offensive line was average. Yeah, but they were really good. And then, you know, and that, but like, you know, the reality here is, you know, for example, the Cowboys have won more games since Dak Prescott was drafted than any team except for the New England Patriots. Well, who's responsible for that? Dak sucks. Okay, so then you're telling me Jason Garrett must be an amazing coach. No, Jason Garrett sucks. Well, like, who? Like, there, there is, like, a reason for this. You know what I mean? Like, it can't be that – and then, you know, Jerry sucks. Jerry can't build a team. Jerry can't draft or whatever. So, you're telling me that the general manager sucks, the coach sucks, the quarterback sucks. Like, did they just stumble in, <laughs> into more wins than any <laughs> NFC team? Well, they didn't win the Super Bowl. I, like, I know they didn't, but, you know, like, those, those are real conversation points that have to be about. RJ, always appreciate it, my friend. Um, if you ever get a root canal, I need to know if it's worse or better than the moving experience. Uh, well, if I ever get a root canal, it will be uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo helping me. So either way, <laughs> I think it'll be better. All right, my friend. I appreciate it. Take care. You too, man. Bye. That is this week's episode of the Colby Daniels podcast. Once again, I appreciate all of you for listening, hanging out with me. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, tell your friends about the podcast. All of that is greatly appreciated. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. And don't hesitate to reach out if you just want to say hi or uh, you want to talk about sports. I'm certainly uh, excited to hear from you guys. So give me a shout. Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. Episode 9 coming out middle of the week, so look out for that. As always, I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. Hope you stay safe, and I will talk to you next time. Podcast is over.